Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tron Conquest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Talkhouse Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. On this week's episode, we've got a pair of pioneering musical searchers who came together for a Grammy-nominated record last year, Angelique Kijo and Ibrahim Malouf. Now, trying to encapsulate Kijo's career into the little time I have here is an even more daunting task than usual, and we've had some really accomplished people on this podcast. Born in West Africa, Kijo has ably explored various musics over the past 40 years or so, winning fans with an incredible range of styles and interests. She's played on Lilith Fair... She's won Grammys, she's been a muse for Philip Glass, she started a foundation to empower girls and young women in sub-Saharan Africa, she's collaborated with everyone from Carlos Santana to Ezra Koenig to Dr. John to Josh Groban to Kronos Quartet, and that list goes on and on. The only real constant in her career, besides a sort of deep, inexplicable beauty, is restlessness. Kijo is always looking for the next thing to spark her interest, which led to a recent Grammy-nominated collaboration with today's other guest, Ibrahim Malouf. Malouf is a French-Lebanese trumpeter who shares a musical outlook with Kijo. Both care deeply about always pushing the boundaries of what they do and never repeating themselves. To that end, they collaborated on last year's Queen of Sheba, which takes the oft-told biblical story to new places. Kijo wrote the lyrics in the Yoruba language, and Malouf's music builds a bridge between the sounds of the Middle East and Africa. Since that record came out, Malouf has already released another, Capacity to Love, on which he examines American sounds, specifically hip-hop, gathering guests like Eric the Architect from Flatbush Zombies and Paz from De La Soul. Also, strangely, Sharon Stone. In this lovely and enlightening conversation, Kijo and Malouf trade stories about their inspiration behind making music, and each share some really profound advice they got as children. Kijo speaks about the recent loss of her mother and what that might mean to her spirituality and how it might affect her next album, which sounds like it will be deeply personal. Enjoy. So first of all, Angelique, sorry for uh, for being a bit late, but it was uh, crazy to do all this um, Grammy thing without you. I know, but I try, you know, I tried to get out of my concert that I was supposed to do in the northern part of Norway. Mm. They called them the Northern Lights for, for a reason. And it was a classical show. So the orchestra was booked. And, you know, when you have those large ensemble of people, it's very difficult to cancel. Yeah. So I couldn't get out of it. But so many people uh, asked me about you and about how the project was, you know, and so I, yeah, I had I had a good reason to talk about you. <laughs> good, it's a, and to talk about what we did. Yeah, because the nomination is a huge deal. I know it's a huge deal in the kind of music that it is. It's like people are listening to what we have to say. Yeah, and that is a a big step, I have to say, because time are changing. People are paying attention to what is no longer just mainstream. But things that have substance and that can educate and lift people up. And for me, that nomination, that's what it meant, that we're on the right track to use our culture, our storytelling power. It was interesting to to be able to talk about uh, the Queen of Sheba, you know, at a time where in the same time there is... uh, there is a part of the world that is uh, really pushing this kind of mixing and this kind of uh, encounters, you know, between cultures. And at the same time, you have a, b- a big part of the world who refuses this. So it was interesting to be on the other part, you know, of the world, the one who wants to show that all those cultures are uh, 
are made to live together, not uh, not to live separate and apart. So it was it was nice to in the when people were asking me the interviews and all this to be able to raise this voice. You know, it was a big time for me. You know, to be able to talk about this on a, a bit larger scale than I'm used to. You know. Even if you're small in the Grammys, Grammys is so big that it brings large audiences. And it was a really, really big time, big time for me to be able to talk about this and about our collaboration on another level. That didn't happen to me before, you know. But I wish people listen that the power of music that we have, we can use it mm. more efficiently and more frequently without being afraid. Because you cannot please everybody. People will judge whatever you do. As my father's mother used to say, If God sent us his son and we turn out to kill him and crucify him, who the hell are we to think that people are going to listen to us and agree with us on everything? Mm. But that doesn't stop us from doing what we do. And it demands not just only courage, but creativity. Creativity musically and to prove that with music, everybody's invited at the table of negotiation. It's not a level of power. It's equality. Everybody's equal on talking about things and doing things together. Talking is one thing, but acting upon it. Each one of us as artists in this world, if we see our talent, our passion for music as a calling, we should understand that if we do not use music to empower our humanity, we all lose. doesn't matter how talented you are. If you don't have a public that you can lift up that come to your concert, you are nobody. Mm. It was an, a great occasion for me also to think about this project even more. I went there for specifically for to talk about this. So it made me realize how much I enjoyed the concerts that we did. And I'm so much mm. looking forward to the next one next month because I yes I realized that this concert that we do together every time is full of everything you just said. You know, we dance, we cry, we show that it's possible to, to love each other through this music. Whereas when there is an album... Like you have to talk about the album. The album exists, it's recorded, so it's done already. But when you're on stage, you show it. So you don't have to talk anymore. You don't have to talk. You just have to play the music and enjoy it and talk about maybe the riddles and stuff like this. And you can see when you are doing the show, the concert, I don't know if you, you experienced the same thing. People were having fun, but they were listening very carefully in a way that they don't listen to my music because people are dancing. People come there to... Because every single person on this planet knows Queen of Sheba and King Solomon. It's part of those myths that everybody knows about. So for us to come with that myth and to tell the story, people are like, huh? Let's listen. What is this all about? And the fact that we give them paper for them to read about the riddles before we start playing, give them an insight in the music that you write and the lyrics that I compose for them to listen and try to figure out where is their calling? What is this about? Mm. And that's what I realized when we were doing the shows. In Vienna, for example, when we were doing it, there were people up there. And in the middle of it, I don't know if you remember, you, you was waving when you were playing the trumpet. I was listening. There were a block of people. They were like this. The whole show. Listening like, what is this? And then at the end, they stood up. They were like cheering. I'm like, you spend all the concerts seeing like this, looking at us like, what the fuck <laughs> is going on in the world? And then suddenly you go, wow. And that kind of burst of joy mm. is that the respect and the, the curiosity about what we were doing, that's what brought them there. That's the power of stage that we don't have when we record it. When we're in the studio, we are much about technique. I mean, this sound, let's do this here. Let's. When you're on stage, you don't have time for it. The sound is good or not bad, you do it. You don't care, you play.
Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the TalkHouse podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of TalkHouse is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. Hey, TalkHouse listeners, it's Josh Modell. Instead of encouraging you to listen to podcasts today, I'm here to encourage you to read something great. The particular something I have in mind is the second issue of The TalkHouse Reader, the print zine spearheaded by our fantastic music editor, Annie Fell. This issue is focused on the intersection of food and music, and it features contributions from Maddie Matheson, Coleman Domingo, Squirrel Flower, Sam Evian, the Blessed Madonna, and more. There are pieces about eating while on tour, the gentrification of food, cooking as a creative catalyst, and much, much more. You can order a copy today, along with the first issue, at store.talkhouse.com. Please do check it out. I think worked out quite well in this project is that uh, there's no specific style in this album. No. It's some classic, because there's a classical orchestra. There's, it's also very African because all the musics are, could be just played with the uh, Kora and the, uh, yeah. and the, uh, and the voice. Uh, it's also Middle Eastern, of course, because there are lots of uh, influences yeah. or themes. It's also jazz at some point. It's also uh, some kind of punk sometimes. The beauty of it is, as you said, you can remove the orchestra. And you and I will do this show completely. Completely, yeah. You can bring a rock and roll band in it, they'll play it. That's the power of Queen of Sheba. Mm. And sometimes I'll be singing the song alone, and I'll be hearing the trumpet, and I can just discard the, 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 the string, and it works still for me when I'm rehearsing it. Mm. Because I know your part. I know what I know where you're going to stand and responding to my voice. Because mm. we both were talking, we are storytellers, we're talking to each other. We have people helping us get the story out. And if they're not there, we're going to tell it anyway. Mm. We could have done it just trumpet, guitar, and you. Yeah. And, it, it, and it would have worked, actually. <laughs> That's what that's what a, a beautiful creativity is. Mm. At the end of the day, the music and the lyrics that we have written, they were strong by themselves. That's what I said to myself. If I cannot sing one of my songs alone or with the trumpet or with the guitar or with the percussion, then I don't want the song. Mm. Because you can be in any setting and then you can do it. That's the power of this, of, of what we did. That's what I was telling you. Because even when you're not there, even when I'm not listening and I'm just humming the song, because sometimes I'll be doing stuff and I'll be singing. Mm. 
I mean, we didn't understand at that time. And that's also the beauty of it. Because if you understand it, you do it differently. We were so, so immersed on the idea of doing this that we let, we give ourselves to the music. We give ourselves yeah. to the creativity and we come up with something that we can sing along. The only thing is that in Yoruba, so most people wouldn't be able to sing it. <laughs> oh, yes, but they can sing the harmony. Like they can sing the melody as I'm singing it. But actually, huh? you know that we, when we recorded the, the choir, the gospel choir on the album, yeah. Yeah, they were asking me to to give them the lyrics, and I and I was like, I, I will write it like phonetically, but I <laughs> but I'm sorry, but I don't write in Yoruba. <laughs> they learned it just by ear phonetically. They didn't understand Yoruba, but they were like singing the lyrics, you know. <laughs> the same thing with Philip Glass when I was with Philip Glass with Yoruba. He didn't speak the language, but he studies phonetics, so he transcribed my language phonetically to be able to write the piece. Yeah. And I mean, every language have a phonetics that everybody can understand. That's so true. So what are, what are, what are you up now? I just played yesterday at Carnegie Hall for the first time that we are playing the, uh, the 12th Symphony of Philip Glass. Oh, wow. That was, that must be crazy. It was crazy and tearing. And <laughs> that's why today I'm like, I ain't doing nothing. I'm staying home, doing nothing. Especially that the piece is very difficult. It is very complex. Very, very complex. Yeah. It was complicated. It's really dope. I mean, it's yesterday I was just like so concentrated the whole day, you know, because the way Philip writes music is not the way we use the rhythm. We don't use the rhythm diff like he does. And that's mm. what is interesting about Philip. He just changed the rhythm. And within the same phrase, you have four, four, then you have three, four, or four, four, three, four. I mean, it's a, and you got to be concentrated, but it's at the same time, it's really interesting. So I did that. And now I'm I'm just gonna rest today and gonna continue writing music as usual. That's amazing. So what is your next project now? It's very challenging because somebody told me we need your Angelique's album. What are the words that define you? And I'm still figuring out those words. They say the friend of mine said, find 10 words that define you. And it's not easy. Mm. So every day I'm struggling through it. Wow. So it's gonna be an album about Angelique. It's going to be about an album, not just about me, about the value. And uh, for me, it's also a way to come to a closure to accept that my mom, my dad, and my brothers are no longer here because I lost two brothers. My mom and my dad, my mom is a year and a half ago. And all those people are, have been my backbone. I mean, my mom is just like, still now, I still, I'm like, I have no base. I mean, I, I'm finding, I have to find a way through music to, to get myself back on my feet. Wow. That must be something to work on. It is hard, telling you. Yeah. Sometimes I cry and I just let it bear and then I walk away. But I have to do it. I owe myself to do it. Is this next album is going to be like a therapy. Yeah, pretty much. I try not to think about it every day, but it's difficult that, you know, just the, the fact that you can pick up your phone and call your mother, you know, and you know she's going to answer. And every time I call my mom, the first thing she says, she starts singing song for me. You know this song? Let me sing you this song. That voice is no longer there. So I, well, sometimes I pick up my phone every Sunday. I'm like, oh, yo, you can't call mom anymore. So I got to get used to That's where I'm trying to tap into to get it out. And it, it is coming with still with te a lot of tears. But I'm yeah. going to get over it. I was very, very, very close to my grandmother. Her name was, I mean, she, her name is Odette. 
and we you used to call her Teta because it means uh, grandma in uh, in Lebanese. And the last three four years of her life, she was living at my place in my home in my house. And actually, I gave her my room for like three years. You know, she was she was living in my room literally, and I was living in another little room of the, of the with my wife in, in the house. And she she was ninety nine when she passed away. Wow, you're lucky. Yeah, and she really was the pillar of our house and our home and our family and of everybody. So she lived one century. She lived hundred years, <laughs> which is crazy. So her voice was really part of our our life. How do you say that? Her perfume was mm-hmm. part of life. You know, and and it's hard. Yeah, it, it was very very hard when she when she passed she away left. because she left a huge gap in in us because she she took so much space. She was so important for us. Like every gathering of the family, everyone came to see her. Like, and she her voice and her um, wisdom, you know, mm-hmm. very very powerful in our family. And when someone is so important in your family, when when that person leaves. I understand exactly what you're talking about. That's why yeah. in our cultures, we, we we understand the importance of keeping our elderly close instead of taking putting them in a nursing home because yeah. they bring us some strength. They give us wisdom. They help us maneuver in this ever-changing world in the, with grace, with love, and with strength. And it's something that no money can buy. And I don't care what anybody says. As long as we don't understand in our society, our capitalism system, that mm. our elderly people are our backbone and we have to cherish them and keep them close to us. Because that wisdom, they pass on to our kids and they give them foundation to our kids because they yeah. are there talking to them. It's another generation bringing something to the table. And I, I yeah. wish we understand that and keep them close. Yeah. Something that is very respected in in Arab culture and in African culture. Uh, whereas uh, in, in European cultures, for example, or in Western cultures, people don't really. Uh, of course, there are lots of people who do, but but mostly, most people, the large majority of people, don't really give to old people their place because they think about the fact that they cost a lot or that they don't, they are not happy, they cannot move anymore so easily, or blah blah blah. These kind of things that are you know not so important, you know. <laughs> so they 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 forget that uh, this this uh, tired body is is wise because this tired body has experienced so many things. I think that. We we ourselves to our music to bring people to understand the importance of who they are versus who they want to be. We live in a society where you have to look like something. You never can be yourself. And that is a disaster. Yeah. The value we share are, are, are limitless. The value we have in common has no color, no nationality, no gender. But we are pushed by the society to forget all that and to think only about ourselves. And it's the only way that capitalism can exist by breaking family bound and social bound. We cannot give in to that for me. Music is the breath and heartbeat of generation of people that have come before us, that pass on that, that breath to us. In our family, both of us, we grew up with musicians, with storytellers, and it doesn't cost us anything. We take it for granted because it, was, it comes from a place of love. For us to understand that we are human, but human of music and love. And that's something that we are losing. And that we musicians 
composer, uh, uh, entertainer that we are, every time you go on stage, we have to have fun for ourselves, of course, but always try. For me, that's what I do. I, I'm always thinking if one or two people come out of this concert and have a different view about their lives and make changes in their lives, I've succeeded. I totally agree with you, and that that, re- that confirms how much we ha- we share the same values on on so many things, Angelique. But you know, it reminds me also something that uh, one day someone told me this when I was like, I think I was twelve or thirteen years old, or something. I was doing a concert, and you know, I was like just playing with my father, and I remember this old woman, and she told me, "Don't forget when you're on stage that there is always at least one person in the room to whom it's the first concert in her or his life." Mm-hmm. And- forget that also there might be someone to who it's the last concert of their life it's true so so take it seriously that, like wakened something in my head when when i was uh, <laughs> you know young young boy like it's okay, okay being, do, doing a show it's not just a random thing you know you are transmitting energy you're transmitting values and and someone could listen to the music and become a musician just because she or he loved this concert or you know and and some people will just experience the last big emotion of their life. Me, every concert is a new beginning. I never take any public for granted. I yeah. never take any concert for granted. It's always a renewal. Is that a beginning all the time? Because Absolutely. you got to be in that mindset to be able to give all you have. As my mom mm. used to say, before you get on stage, you have to be ready to be naked spiritually. Mm. It took me a long year to understand that. In that vulnerability, that's where lies your strength. We need ego to get on stage because we need that to to help us keep ourselves together because it's so demanding that mm. the ego is like uh, a cane that holds you, your third leg. Mm. But that third leg is there for you to give. When you fall back, you can fall back to it. But it's not the most important thing. When you are on stage, every time, and you experience the same thing that I experience, the people in front of you, you don't know where they come from. Mm. What is happening in their home? Why they came there? They could have gone to any any other show, but they came to see you. They came to see us. Mm. And in front of you, you have humanity at your feet. Because you're on stage, you're above them. But you have to be at their level to be able to touch the soul. For you to have a transformative experience when you, you leave the stage, they give you something and you give them something. It might be your last show. You don't know it. It might be that show that makes make you think, oh, I'm happy to be a musician, but till it's over. That's one thing mm-hmm. that is really powerful in music for me is that you always have to be humble to be able to achieve what you come to do. Music demands from us that trust, that truth, that clarity, and that light. For us, when we get to stage, when you take your trumpet and you start playing, the first note you play, even if your mind is thinking about it, it's coming from your soul. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. A few years ago, uh, I was I remember I was a little bit depressed at home for some personal reasons. And uh, and my grandma, Odette Teta, was watching me every day, you know, and didn't say a word, you know, just watching me, seeing me, <laughs> saying nothing and saying nothing. And one day she got angry at me. and. She was, um, you know, looking at me in a different way. It, it, like it, it had been like a month or, or more. Like she was looking at me, like, "What's weird in him? Why is he like this?" You know, she she knew, of course, why I wasn't good. But she was like, "Okay, but you know, come on, you're 37, 38. Come on, go outside, get out, the, out yeah, get up, 
do something. You know, you know I'm, I'm an old 97 old woman. I cannot do anything, but you have all your life, uh, uh, for, you know, in, in front of you. In front of you. Yeah, and and one day she 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 got angry at me and not 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 mean but angry like like furious like why is he wasting his life like this for something that doesn't worth it and she told me this phrase that I will never forget she said don't let ne- never let anybody forbid you to do from your life a carnaval you know so I don't know if I said it the right way in English because it, she said it in French and. But but the the meaning of this was that also you know when you're on stage it's for you also it's not only for people you are there yeah. to express it's it's your it's your life and that also changed a bit part a big part of the way I see my my job mm-hmm. it, it's important also to do it for you to to be able to express things that you have inside of you and when you are on stage you give in the sincerity of what you are giving comes from the fact that you are giving it because you need to give it. It's it's urgent for you. It's in you know. It's it's something you cannot live without giving it. So yeah, we're back to the wisdom of all the people. <laughs> but, oh yeah, and, and in that same regard, I remember asking my uncle. I have an uncle that I adore. Uh, that his name was Kusanupo, which means uh, um, is uh, the the remaining of the what death leave because his parents lost every kid that comes. The mom will lose them. He no. was the only. He was the only one that survived. So they oh, called wow. him Kusanupo. Death sell all my kids and leave me this one. That's what it means. And wow. he was and he was talented in in music and song. And he was one of those rare uncle of mine that was never annoyed when I come and ask questions because most of the mm. time that like, we don't have time for this. And he will sit there and say, "Okay, ask all your questions. Just shoot away. Sure, come yeah. on, give it to me. Give it to me." And I remember I asked him, "Okay, I want to understand." What is a song? How do you write a song? What is that? And then he said to me, a song is made first of something that you don't know where it comes from. Let's keep it that way. And when you pay attention, there are three things that compose a song. Rhythm, words, and melody. I say, hey, yeah. And then what? Which one comes first? He said, if you start thinking about it, then you don't have a song. Mm. Because those three things, you after you can think about it. But when they come, you can't separate them. Because if you can separate the rhythm, from the lyrics and from the melody, you have nothing left. Nothing it's, called, it's called the Trinity of song. And when uh-huh. you finish your song and you cannot remember which one comes the first, then you know you have a beautiful song yeah. and that you can sing it alone or with any instrumentation. I say, okay, all right, well, how do I make that happen? <laughs> that is like, that Ooh, is up to you. And he finished telling me, I've seen you since you were a baby, since you were born, how you react to music, how you catch up stuff, how you sing stuff. You start singing before making phrases. This is a gift of God or nature. If you keep that for yourself, it will dry out. When you are talented, you are given a talent by nature. It's not up for you to keep. When I'm telling you, you're young enough, I think I was eight or nine years old. And he said, you might not understand today what I'm telling you. But if you don't give when you are on stage singing, you have to please yourself because you don't please yourself. You don't love yourself. You can't give nothing. Mm. The generosity you have told yourself, that's what allows you to give without asking anything back. But you have to understand the urgency of your talent is to give and to share every opportunity you have. It takes me a year to understand that. Because I was nine, eight years, I say, okay, bye. I turn my back and I stop playing. But with time, I think about it. And you think about it and you go, they're giving you all the keys mm-hmm. to be the artist that you are today because that's what they do. Your grandmother, yeah. my uncle, they are just 
there to help us find our way and mm. fulfill our destiny. I'm so much looking forward to play again next month. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm making many clothes for that. I don't know which one I'm going to choose. but <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the TalkHouse podcast. And thanks to Angelique Kijo and Ibrahim Malouf for chatting. If you liked what you heard, please follow TalkHouse on your favorite podcasting platform and check out all the great stuff we've got going at TalkHouse.com. This episode was produced by Myron Kaplan, and the TalkHouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.